0: Welcome, everyone, and welcome to the fourth episode of Aurat Talks, where we'll be talking about women in music. My name is Rani Khan.
1: My name is Shah. My name
0: is Omar Ali. And we are delighted to be joined today by Miss Natasha Narani, the famous singer I'm sure you've all heard of. Um, so, Natasha Narani, do you want to introduce yourself?
2: Yes, hi, thank you so much for having me on Aratraj. I am a musician, singer-songwriter, ethnomusicologist, a festival director, I do a bunch of things all related to music in Pakistan.
0: And we'll be sure to ask about all those different endeavors during this interview. Um, So let's just dive right in. Um, Miss Nirani, how has your experience been as a woman in the music industry so far?
2: Um, it's that's a, like a great question. It's also so hard to answer um, because it, there's just so much nuance to being a woman in in Pakistan that you know like being in the industry is like another like level of that and unto itself. Um, it's been difficult because primarily for me in my experience, the spaces for music growing up were limited for you know for boys and for girls, but. If one were to access, say, a studio at the age of 15, I would need a chaperone to go with me to a studio. Um, I would, you know, need to be, I would need an adult to be, you know, taking me there because these spaces were so unreliable and dingy and strange um, that I understand now why my parents were not okay with me going to shady studios at that age. Um, but the access points to even music learning, music education, music production. All of those were kind of limited, um, even in terms of finding out which things to be learning because the community was was geared towards kind of just making female art musicians as singers. Um, You you didn't really, maybe 15 years ago, you definitely didn't see a lot of instrumentalists or um, producers who were women. You mostly just saw singers and maybe singer-songwriters in Pakistan. Uh, But that's, you know, that's changed over the years. I think I got a little more resilient and belligerent. And um, during um, O and A levels, I managed to, you know, get my music learning and access through school and, you know, through off time there. Um, So that that definitely was helpful. And I was lucky to meet like a very talented group of people who kind of guided me through that. Um, other than the barriers to entry, I think what's difficult is the what was what used to be the industry requirement of being a female artist, which was to be, look a certain way, to fit a certain clothing size, to act a certain you know um, you know way, like a ladylike way or a non whatever whatever was the requirement of the moment of the song, um, and I think that that was really limiting to grow up with because I didn't fit into any of that. I was not comfortable fitting into any of that as well. I didn't, even if I would manage to do that, it it just seemed like it just was the most inauthentic thing to do and it wasn't what my music was about either. Um, so that was definitely a struggle, you know, in that in that issue, in that situation. But yeah, it's it's hard to get a jazit. It's hard to get, you know, to, to get people to kind of take you seriously when you even are pursuing music as a, um, as an academic pursuit, it's music is kind of like bottom of the food chain, um, so you just kind of need to develop a thick skin. Um, yeah, it's 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 definitely I would say the access has has changed now for sure. It's it's so amazing to see so many young women being so much braver than I was at their age. Um, so it's it's yeah it's it's a nice magical time to be a female artist in Pakistan.
1: So you talked about your own growth over like, you know, your time as an artist and as your progression, like over the course of being a musician and pursuing music. But aside from just your own growth and development, how do you think the music industry in Pakistan has grown or developed over either your tenure or over time generally?
2: Oh, man, it's gone through a lot of changes just in, you know, the the 29 years that I've been around because we switched from analog to digital in, you know, multiple phases. Um, So I grew up listening to songs on cassettes and VHSs that, you know, belong to my siblings because they're also much older than I am. So they had access to that material. Eventually we shifted to like MP3s on Winamp, which was, you know, such a huge deal to be able to download music from anywhere. Um, to eventually just getting access to CDs and um, actually streaming and YouTube at some point. Um, I speak about this because the means of consumption also defined how your industry was functioning. So through your uh, late 90s to mid 2000s, your record labels were, you know, flouncy. They weren't really doing much. Um, and the you essentially had TV channels that were helping to promote the latest uh, artists, um, eventually those guys faded out as well by you know 2000 between 2007 2010 venue spaces, etc, all of these things ended up closing down due to security issues and political issues, um, TV channels no longer existed so. Um, there was quite a lull between original music being made between say 2007 to 2013, 14. Um, what really I think inspired me in terms of what, and I can call it industry shift in that sense, was uh, after your early 2000s boom of Atif, Jal, Nuri EP, all of the strings, Ka second wave, all of these bands kind of you know making it everything after that for a while just sounded the same. And also there was no way to access new music. So there was MySpace, but MySpace never really, you know, kicked off in Pakistan the way, you know, other apps or um, social media networks have. Um, Then YouTube was there as an option, but then YouTube got banned in 2010. So anybody sitting and recording covers like they would. Um, I remember I was 18 and I was like sitting in Recording all of my Adele covers and being super angsty, but I had nowhere to upload them. So you know that definitely got in the way of you know an artist and grew, like growing a fan base or growing that understanding. But what was also really cool is that in 2010, between 2010 2014, bands like you know Sekundar Kamandar, Early Poor Rich Boy. Um, And so many alien panda jewelry, um, uh, orange noise, all of these really great bands from Lahore and Islamabad, uh, Lahore and Karachi, sorry, were um, actively making music that we now call indie channels or music shows or anybody kind of picked that up. That was very much left to um, be it's on its own, and we managed to see that music through festivals and actual things popping up then. Um, And and, and that was a great time because it felt like the start of something, it felt like something new was finally happening, something young and exciting that someone could relate to. But unfortunately, you know, this whole wave of artists never, you know, they were in direct clash with the corporate music that was being made, right? Um, and corporate shows just kept popping up. And that's great because if corporates are investing in music, that means your industry for music is going to grow because someone's actually paying for it, right? Because these artists are not getting paid at the end of the day, like uh, gigs, et cetera, sure. But streaming and things like that never really end up, you know, like filling your pockets in any way or form. Um, So a lot of festivals popped up, a lot of, you know, initiatives and collectives and people started getting more proactive. So I think around about between 2018 and 2020, Uh, especially early 2020 we saw like a boom in what the music industry was in terms of not what was happening on the mainstream or what tv channels etc were doing but independent artists that indie bit that they actually managed to kind of break through on their own without getting a brand on board to support them or without having to show up on tv and so now you have like this whole new wave of like young artists who are coming in and just just killing it absolutely on their own terms, and that's like a wonderful thing to be able to see. I think the general music industry, like the corporate industry, etc., still has to play catch up a bit because you know they're missing out on this wave. And usually, what happens is that you see the same 10 15 artists on TV or in TVCs or in songs because most of your brand managers think that those are the only 10 15 artists to exist, when in actuality, there's a huge roster of fantastically talented people who are now very much showing the world that they are. So, yeah. Um. Yeah, so I wanna ask like, how does the future of music look like for women in
0: Pakistan?
2: So, I think it's, I, I would want to be optimistic and say that it's bright because it's. it seems to have gotten so much better because I've, I feel for the first time, um, there's a community of women that are there for each other there's you know women in different um, segments of the industry so not only are women just the singers or the faces of the song but they are the ones engineering and producing it and recording osts and foley's and sound effects and actually getting into the stuff that boys usually you know very much did not allow entry or uh, into i think another major thing is that so many women and so many female narratives have populated music. Now that I think that that's, that's been a breakthrough because if you notice all of your major stars are male, fine, no problem. But then the narrative of the music you're listening to ends up becoming so masculine. And sometimes when you're even just listening actively as a fan, you don't want to just drown yourself in testosterone. Um, So I think there's definitely a demand and it's, it's visible, right? Like it's tangible. I've also experienced it. it. So many of the people around me have experienced it for that relatability for, for women, be able to sing and speak and write and compose and produce their own voices, um, their own stories or the, the experiences that they can speak from, which is always so much greater than what we've seen previously. And I think that's, people are still catching on to the fact that that's what's happening. But I think because that's, people have, you know, these, you know, young women and non-binary people have figured out that that is how, they want to go forward with this. I think that there's really no stopping that. And take the industry a while to catch up, you won't be seeing a lot of, you know, women who are just breaking through, maybe coming in TVCs like one would, or like finding that altar of success. Um, but it's I I will I will give an optimistic answer to this and say it's looking bright.
0: So I found it really interesting that you brought up like this overload of a masculine narrative in music and I wanted to ask, how would you define like the feminine narrative in music?
2: That's an interesting question. Um, I haven't truly, I guess delved into what is what makes it different, other than the fact that it is so inherently um, relatable for for someone like me or for the people around me to be listening to. So, I, I, but what I mean is that there's no, there's not necessarily a difference in the sound being produced. So, like, the the genre that they're tapping into isn't, you know, different. It's not like, you know, there's a like um, an entirely different uh, genre that women tend to delve into. But I think that the fact that there are songs about, you know, abuse, that there are songs about toxic, you know, environments, that there are songs about, um, weakness and fear and just the thematics of these songs, um, I think that unto itself really for me is, is it just draws me in. Um, and then beyond that, just female, the, the female aesthetic, right? So audio and visual, I think that also really makes a difference. I think just being able to see a woman that I can look at and be like, oh my God, I, can, I, I, I feel like I look like her. She looks like me you know, like just into, or she looks like a friend of mine, or, oh my God, I, you know, just that, that moment of familiarity, I think that's also different. And also like, I I feel like so, that's so much more enjoyable to like, stand a female artist, because it's such a, it's already anyway. So you can like, like, absolutely be fearless in, in how you support these artists. Um, so yeah, I think those are the, the, the kind of major thematic differences, I feel, when it comes to women making music. And, and just if, if you listen closely to the production of a lot of female artists as well, or female producers as well, there's always like, a there's something different. That's also what's major is that for most of my lifetime, it's just been really just men and maybe one or two women in the industry who are like right at the forefront. So for that to kind of be inverted to or getting to the point where it could, like that ratio can be at least checked. I I think that that's that's the bit that excites me the most about the female sound.
1: That's really interesting, thank you. Um, The next question is that you recently collaborated with um, Behenchara magazine on the issue revolving around rhythm, resistance and revolution. Why were you interested in being a part of it and what significance do you think it held, held to you personally?
2: So the girls behind Ben Chata Mag are absolutely phenomenal. They reached out to me um, to work on an issue for uh, you know women in music, and the they are the actual like superstars. I just kind of like pointed them in in certain directions, but I think they really deserve the credit for that um, for that piece uh, for that edition as well. The the reason it's important to me again is is it's very I I think it's so important to be able to support young. Female, you know, um, females who are taking any kind of initiative because I was also once a young female who was taking some kind of initiative and I, I didn't really get the support that I wanted to. Um, so if, if I can just be around to help them, kind of just let them know that what they're doing is fine. They don't really need me around, but, but just give them that the salid that things are, things are totally okay and the direction they're taking is great. Um, So I think that that's one of the reasons why I I, I was keen to join on for that. Um, The significance that it held for me is that it was an entire edition of a magazine just devoted to female artists, and the artwork was, you know, uh, the artwork was by women, the, the people covered were women, the music that we were listening to, or it was all, you know, just like the celebration, the celebratory aspect of that edition, and also that like it it was a kind of a moment of realization that, okay, oh my God, we've gotten to a point where we have so many artists that we have like female artists in the scene that we <laughs> cannot possibly feature all of them in a magazine. But the fact that we filled up a magazine with just female artists, like, yes. If I could read this edition of Benchata Magazine 15 years ago, my life would be completely
0: different. That's super cool. Um...
2: So we've seen, like, apart from singing, you've had a lot of experiences, uh, experience managing stuff, um, from Coke Studio to Strings. How different is singing from managing stuff and organizing? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's very different. It's it's. I feel uh, one of the things that I cannot do is sing and organize at the same event, um, because the headspace that I you re, you're required to be in is very very different. Um, With the managerial work, I think that that's that's something that allows me to really learn and absorb on an industry level and on an outside level. Because as an artist, um, I tend to get, most artists do, but I also very much tend to get kind of stuck in my own head. Is this good? What am I supposed to do with my art once I'm done with it? Um, You know, I have a song, how am I supposed to release it? Um, smaller things like that, just so you get kind of caught up in your, get, you get in your own way. So for me, management in any capacity really just helps me step out of that little bubble of my head and my anxiety and kind of look at the macrocosm of the industry and of what music means in Pakistan. Um, and that, that headspace is basically just, you need to really just be on it. So lots of damage control, like my favorite thing is is damage control, not because I enjoy doing damage control, but because the thrill of something you have planned, not going according to plan for multitudes of reasons, and then solving that, like just coming up with the the best Jugar possible to kind of get the the job done, that unto itself is a craft that really, um, it, it excites me. Um, so, so managing is, is, is definitely a different beast altogether, uh, with singing you, I, I, I think the focus is then on that craft and then on engaging with the audience. So I can't be thinking about things like, um, you know, ticketing or lighting or, uh, managing what the crowd is doing or, um, speaking to sponsors on the phone at that point, or dealing with other artists at that point. Um, so I think these are two things that I personally don't like to um, contaminate with each other in that sense but the wonderful thing is I think they do feed into each other post everything else out the way I'm able to absorb it I'm able to be stronger on stage because I know of what else is happening around me and I'm very aware of the surroundings of the backstage and I think it also enables me to learn like if if I hadn't done a lot of managerial work and I just went into singing I think I would just go to a concert sing come back but now I'm so obsessed with kind of like speaking to the production manager and talking to the lightsala and just like finding out their stories, what they do, who, you know, just like that whole network that I'm able to build, um, that that's it's just been nice to kind of do both things that, it's that absorb both things simultaneously in that sense, but definitely can't manage both together.
1: On the topic of management and like organizing events. so. How was your experience founding and directing the Lahore Music Meet and how did you or what steps did you take to ensure that it was either a safe space or different to most other sort of public events that we have around here?
2: Um, So I co-founded and co-directed the uh, Lahore Music Meet with Zahra Paracha, who herself is a fantastic musician, singer, songwriter, uh, producer. Uh, So we started this off when we were in our last year of college. um, And the the main kind of aim for this was to get research for our uh, final year thesis. So we were like, okay, let's just do a festival and interview everyone that we need to interview at the festival. Um, So the, and also for us, both of us were aspiring musicians at that point, um, young and, you know, doe-eyed and just wanting to see the world in a shiny light. But we also understood That the industry had like a bit of a clique going on and you needed to know somebody to know somebody for them to even hear you or notice you. Um, This is the pre Instagram era in that sense, so you know you couldn't just like find that moment and if you weren't lucky, so we wanted to create a space where you know musicians had access to each other. Um, Musicians also had access to an audience. And audiences had access to new music and to be able to listen to uh, masterclasses and learning opportunities and sessions that they could kind of absorb and really take with them to grow as either audiences or, you know, young, young children maybe be choosing to become musicians in that moment. Because I think live performance and being able to hear your favorite bands live, that's one of the most crucial parts of, of growing up to be a musician. If I hadn't heard so much live music, I don't think I'd be this obsessed or this, you know, into the concept of making and managing music. Um, so the, the aim with, with LMM, the first thing that we did was that for every edition of the LMM, we have kept it completely unticketed. So what that means is that not only are we not charging a 500 rupee ticket, but we're also not even charging like a five rupee entry fees, because the venue, which is Alhamra Arts Council Lahore, that ends up having just being home to such different types of demographics, right? So you're not just dealing with kids from defense, basically. You're not just dealing with an elite, um, an elite blend of musicians and audiences. Uh, so that that's always kind of, you know, the fact that an event is completely open, um, and you, you have, you know, food stalls so anyone who really doesn't care about the music can just go eat you have like so many options to be doing there. Um, that that <clears throat> that monetary kind of moment that really helped in establishing that this was not to be an elite space or a space that's just, you know, for the creme de la creme of Lahore and Karachi and Islamabad. Um, more importantly I think it was designed to be a family event. You know how in Pakistan we have you know family family events and then non-family events. So this was designed very much to be a family event where I could bring my nani and my parents and my nieces and my nephews and they could just hang out in a corner with the you know on a chad pie and just kind of lounge around and listen to music and do that and, I, and, and it's wonderful because people have brought in their like newborn babies like two months old just to come to a music festival and i'm like that's brave but the fact that they feel that level of comfort i think is it has to do with the fact that the LMM team is primarily women so inherently the way we design it is going to be from an angle that would make us feel like we are safe or make us feel like we are, you know, doing the best that we can for us to be comfortable and for us and our friends, et cetera, to be in, or anyone attending, obviously, to be in that space of comfort. We've also, I think we managed to grow it at a a rate that we could handle it. So the first LMM had maybe 2000 people over the course of two days, the fifth LMM, had 20,000 people over the course of two days. So if we had had 20,000 people the first time, I'm sure we would have you know, latched onto so many problems. Um, but we ended up learning and growing and developing teams and kind of making everyone aware of what the environment was. And I think one of the most magical moments for me at an LMM has, has to be that in, uh, in the fifth LMM in 2020, Jan- uh, Feb, there was an entire just a kind of crowd of khaja who had showed up and were just having their own mini concert on the side and the fact that they felt comfortable enough to just show up and do that um and i, I think that that really does say that the space was kind of had no class and gender differentiation there and not that we had advertised it as such but because the sorry for using the word for this but vibes of the festival were kind of like made and designed in a way that we wanted people to feel comfortable that they saw themselves represented in the artwork of the of the festival every year that they you know could see that women were running the space and that you know it wasn't just mostly a horde of men like most concerts tend to be um and and you know you had seated concerts and non-seated concerts for everyone's area of expertise and also we had concerts happening from noon till evening so if like I I grew up not being able to go to like many places after Maghrib so I genuinely wanted people who had permission to be out during the day to just be able to access that music as well so I think Zara and I really kind of managed to think about all of these things and we keep trying and keep thinking and we keep learning from everyone's stories and everyone's accounts of LMM but um, I think yeah it, it it's over the years we've i I, i'm kind of proud of the space that we've managed to build for for music and audiences alike
0: um thank you so i think the work that you've done to ensure that the music meet is a welcoming place for everyone is just incredible um so you when you introduced yourself you talked about being an ethnomusicologist and i'm sure a lot of people aren't very familiar with that term so could you explain to our audience what an ethnomusicologist is and how it may intertwine with your other endeavors such as your project Deskash, or your analytical articles like the one you wrote about the history of in-flight PIA music?
2: Absolutely, so um, ethnomusicology is very simply the uh, relationship and the study of the relationship between music and culture. Um, so just studying how music relates to the politics of a time, how music relates to um, what the social milieu was at that moment, how music relates to what cultural, you know, like defining moments existed. Um, so it, everyone is an ethnomusicologist at the end of the day, because anyone who really understands the or is like interested or intrigued by the relationship that a song has, with any kind of moment or how it's making a generation feel or how it's used in a political rally or you know just why is it viral these moments these are all very ethnomusicological questions so um hopefully more people are interested in this but my primary means and desire to learn um uh, more about this was a as a practitioner as a musician i want to know what my historical sonic roots are so growing up no even now no one really has access to the music that was being made in Pakistan um up until say the the late 80s everything before that is kind of a blur or it's just oh only classical music existed then or only ghazils existed then um which is also great now. like I'm a huge fan of, of classical and semi-classical music I'm training in khayal gaiki myself but um, as an artist, I, I really wanted to know what else was happening. So I think over the course of the last you know, 10 years, I've been kind of fangirling and obsessively collecting research and collecting data um, about you know, surf rock bands from the 60s or um, disco artists coming in in the early 80s in Pakistan and how certain synthesizers were used and who brought them into Karachi, what clubs existed, what were the performance venues, Um, what films wanted experimental music and experimental soundtracks, what didn't. So that's been a lot of what my focus was during my uh, master's in ethnomusicology as well. And so I'm really intrigued by the study of Pakistani pop music and popular music across um, 47 to, you know, the late 90s, because A, that hasn't been archived and the importance of archiving, digitizing, and then actually making that data accessible is that you know all four of us can just decide that hey today I want to figure out what music or what art or what films were being made in Pakistan in the 60s and 70s because I can ask you guys these questions and I'm guilty of this myself but we probably know more about 70s uh, rock bands from America than we do about 70s artists from Pakistan and that's not because we're more interested in American culture it's just because it's accessible and that information is handed to us right at some point you'll be watching a show you'll get that information you'll know who Jimi Hendrix is you'll know who the Beatles are blah 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 so like that environment of this being so on your fingertips who the artists are what their names are what those songs were the classics as one would call them who's deciding what is being called a classic also is another interesting question that I often think about Um, but that's also something that I want to change I would like for all of that to be accessible for myself, mostly like it's a selfish endeavor in that sense, because I want to listen to all this music, but also to be able to then share that with an entire community or anybody who wants to grow up listening to that or have access to their own culture. So writing articles like the PIA in flight music, it's, it's for me, it's a journey of remembering what it's like to just be in a plane listening to music. What is that music? Who's made that music? Why are we listening to that music? And you find out that there's a whole collection of people who have worked to just make that background music for you in your tax scene before you take off. Um, so these these little moments really, really, truly intrigue me and also inform the way I now make music as well. Um, Peshkash is, is that hub that I use to be able to share context and details and writings and Um, podcasts uh, and music more importantly to an audience and make it easy for them to just be able to find their new throwback artist. Um, That was really informative. I have a really interesting question. What or who inspires you to create music? Uh, It's, yeah, it seems like an easy question but it's like so hard to answer. Growing up, I was surrounded, listening to a lot of music and seeing a lot of live shows, thanks to my family. And I have three older siblings, and uh, the and my parents, and everyone had very different tastes in music. So I got to listen to everything from like boy band pop to you know R and B to heavy metal. Um, so it that definitely educated my me and kind of developed my palate over the years. Um, my mom actually used to make me sing when I was four or five, so she used to just hand me a microphone and just be like, "Okay, just belt out." Um, and I think that really, that really is where things got started. Uh, growing up, I was really inspired. I was really, I basically, my dream was to be like a heavy metal vocalist and you know, guitarist. Those dreams are now dead, but it was fun to live them for a bit. Uh, so I, I really kind of, I, I listened to a lot of. Aggressive rock, lots of metal, lots of lots of angsty, angry music as a teenager. Uh, so my angst, I think, is what what really got me through my teens and making music. Then uh, I I've been really lucky to be be surrounded by some really kind and you know pleasant and really uh, talented musicians um, in in my uh, teens and early twenties. Um, seeing them make music and seeing them just be so amazing at what they do and and they're I listen to their music in a way that really has like changed my life so to be able to work with them is also such a such an honor I think the first thing that drives me or inspires me is the music that I listen to basically is I before anything else I just I I'm such a huge fan of music in that sense where I will be the person who is you know the one with the extra bluetooth speaker if you need it or will always have headphones on her or just you know that that was me growing up and and now obviously it's it's a completely different ball game as well but I think the the fact that music makes me feel a certain way and is also something that enables a lot of freedom in thought and enables me to be able to share things that I will otherwise publicly not be saying to other people in any other medium I think that 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 has been inspiring as well to use that form to be able to voice out my thoughts and let go of that moment it's also inspiring being on stage being able to perform for people being able to connect with people in that way um, is is very magical in terms of the the artists etc that I listen to so many like I will need to open up my Spotify because it's it's like a lot but growing up I listened to a lot of tool and a perfect circle I really looked up to Maynard James uh, and his vocal techniques and um, lots of lots of r and and boy band music growing up as well lots of good Pakistani pop and rock so, yeah, the palette is, is all over the place. I wish I could give you a specific genre of music that I listen to or want to make, but I think that's the fun bit is that I'd like to explore so many different things. Um, what's currently inspiring me to make music is, is I think like it's, it's hard to find inspiration every single day or like every single week even. It, it gets exhausting because it essentially has become work Right, you have to put in the hours and Um, kind of deal with things that are around music that you don't need to deal with so I think the thing that helps bring back that inspiration is to go back to where I started which is you know playing really bad covers on a guitar at the age of 14 so going back to play those with the same level of you know angst and happiness and to see that growth and development I think that's that's what keeps me going.
0: Um, Thank you for that. So our next question is, what is your songwriting process like, and how do these different sources of inspiration weave their way into that process of yours?
2: Um, So my songwriting usually either takes place on a piano or a ukulele. So I end up just finding a couple of chords that are in the vibe that I want to be in. um, And then i Play around with that for a bit so and what i do is i i, I end up working multiple melodies on the same loop of music so uh, on an in instrument i'll just be playing the same thing for a bit until i have multiple options of like vocal melodies that i want um then i listen back to them see which one is sticking with me if i still am humming one of them the next day that means that that melody has worked um, and is a good one. So I go back to that and then I amend the melody, I amend the chords. I create like a level of baseline production in that moment to be able to like create that first demo. Um, And then I'm able to sit down and kind of write lyrics. So when I'm I'm creating a vocal melody, I'll say words, but I'm not really paying attention to what I'm saying. I just need to know that what words need to come where and what the delivery needs to be like. And then using that syntax and weight and meter, I am able to then create the actual lyrics to the song. So for me, my songwriting process is melody first and melody and music first, and then lyrics. Um, so that I'm able to really kind of pack the lyrics in and really think about that as well and work with other people on that so yeah so some, some, sometimes I will need to sometimes it will just come to me it'll be like a magical moment where I'm like wow I feel like making a song and I make a song and it's great but then what happens more often than not is that I have to be more disciplined about it, which means spending a couple of hours every single day just sitting and being stuck and being in that space of like having to push yourself to kind of do the work and there's less magic, but it's very much possible to be able to make music in that way. It's it's similar to writing or any other, like it's similar to sport in that sense. You need to just be able to practice and the process and make sure that you're allotting enough time to it to be able to become good at it. So I'm also still very much learning and practicing and you know, developing and evolving and growing, looking working with various other songwriters and seeing how their processes is also so helpful. Um, so yes, it's it's not as complicated as it seems. So anybody looking to write songs or feeling afraid to write songs should not, because I I had a fear of writing songs for a while because um, A lot of people around me at a certain point were like, oh, everything needs to be absolutely perfect. It doesn't, it's fine. You need to make bad music to be able to make good music. So get the bad music out of your system and move on with it. And just know that every song isn't there to be released. If I write, say 12 songs a month, only two of them really will be heard publicly because the other 10 maybe just don't make the cut or maybe just I, I get stuck on an idea with them, or just, you know, are, are there for me. So once I switched from songwriting for people and to please them, I was quite free after that. So when I started writing songs that I wanted to listen to on loop for myself and just, you know, because before I release a song, I have to listen to that song for at least two, two months while it's getting mixed and mastered and listen to multiple versions of it. So if I hate the song, then there's really no point in me releasing it and sharing it with people. So I think that because I changed, shifted that perspective of the audience I'm writing for from being an external audience to being this internal audience that is me. I think that that's just definitely something that's given me strength. So people should be more fearless with their songwriting. They'll figure it out.
1: Um, I have two questions. One that we haven't like previously asked with, or like sent, which is just that Um, After hearing you talk about the songwriting process, then does it ever get like difficult or repetitive to then listen to that same music over and over again? And How do you know which edit is like the final one? Or like, do you ever get caught up in that decision-making process?
2: Yeah, and yeah, it gets repetitive. It gets exhausting. There's ear fatigue. You're just like, why? Because you've listened to a song like, what? a A hundred times and literally a hundred times. And you're like, okay, but hmm, what does the song even mean? So you go into a space of self-doubt sometimes. But um, I I think that's that's also the test, right? If it's something that is, I've taken that self-doubt and converted that into a test for myself, which is, okay, if this is something I can't completely listen to without getting out of my head, then maybe there are some tweaks that need to happen. Or if there's something that I'm listening to that is jarring for me, then that's something that needs to be fixed. So you end up going through multiple iterations. Um, you end up having to listen to the same song in so many different spaces. You have to listen to it in a car. You have to listen to it in a bathroom. You have to listen to it on a phone speaker. You have to listen to it, you know, on British speakers. You need to, like, do so many things with this. Um, and more importantly, it's 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 really good to have people around you who are kind enough to lend their ears to you so that when you are being caught up and saying, no, this is terrible, oh my God, I hate this, this needs to go, they can just be like, no, it's fine. So you need people to kind of rein you back in and that's why collaborating with different producers and musicians and just even friends and family because they're gonna tell you like it is, right? So if, if I, when I'm done with the song, I send it to my siblings and they're like, oh, what is this like, why? So if they're like, whatever about it, I'm like, okay, I will adjust. But most of the time they're like, this is great. So find people who are honest so that you don't have to completely destroy yourself in the process of it. But I, I think the, with music now, it, it, there's a lot of repetitiveness in terms of producing it and getting it out. And that is kind of what the process of the mix and master and production has always been. And it gets tiring, but again, you build up that um, stamina like you would for running. If initially you can only run like a mile, you will over time and practice be able to run multiple miles in, you know, the same amount of time. So it it is just people need to stop also treating music as this like divine moment will happen. Otherwise, nothing will happen. So it's not going to be like you will have moments where you'll get a blast of creativity. But that also comes from actively putting in work like going and being a part of your music community and working with other people and getting ideas and sharing with each other. Um, usually, like not everyone needs to go through a traumatic moment to be able to write a song is also the thing you can just learn from each other and not obviously write about each other's traumas in that sense, but I mean, learn the craft from each other and learn that discipline. It, it is it is a job at the end of the day right if you take it, it is like really fun as a job sure, but it is something that requires structure and requires some amount of effort before it starts to make sense.
1: That makes a lot of sense. Um, So our last question was, uh, what would you say to young girls or women who are trying to pursue music or who are looking to pursue music as a career?
2: The first thing I would say to them is that a lot of people will say no to them or will tell them they are not good enough. Don't listen to them. (laughs) That's it. There is no way around that bit. Just avoid listening to people who are trying to like, destroy your dreams in that sense. Um, uh, But following that up, I would also say be intelligent about how you choose to do this. So what that would mean is you need to be like amazing. It is unfortunate, but women will need to be amazing to be treated equally to like a male counterpart doing the same thing, right? Or in terms of, again, access to studios, getting a doing all of these things, even just the way they're performing, what is their package? Are they pretty enough? Are they not, these are not questions that any young girl should have to ask herself. Are you a good musician is a question you should be asking yourself. So I would suggest that all, you know, anybody young needs to, at this point, just decide that they want to be so undeniably good that ijazat is no longer a problem and and it's 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 a hard ask and it takes a lot of time and there's a lot of frustration involved but what i would also tell them is to actively seek out other female artists to help them through this process whether older whether younger is find the women in your life who are you know even if they're not musicians find the filmmakers in your life find the you know, the, uh, art, the, the artists, the photographers, the makeup artists, whoever it is, find the creative women in your life and just hold them on, like hold on to them for like dear life. Basically, that's what one needs to kind of do at a young age, because they will allow you to grow and kind of help elevate you. And again, that safe space is kind of automatically ensured in that moment. Um, I would also want to recommend that young girls kind of make sure that they have like okay so I have a degree in political science that is what my undergraduate degree is and so I don't have a degree in music because in case this music thing was not going to work out I needed to make sure that I had a backup so it's also not I would not in this Pakistani economy and this musical economy recommend that any young person completely give up their lives and just do music. It is very possible to be able to do two things together. So pursue your education, get that st- stuff sorted, check off all the tick marks and then do whatever you want. That is the strategy that I employed. It's worked out well so far. Um, so just know that it's, it's not something that I would recommend because a lot of young girls ask me, they're like, oh, what if we you know just study music? you can. Find spaces that allow you to study music alongside, but don't bank on that as being the only thing that will get you there. Also, because it's essential to get other uh, skill sets. So I had to learn how to like make my own videos. I had to learn how to, you know, I'm terrible at design, but I can Photoshop something for you if you need me to. So these smaller things kind of make you self-sufficient and make you less reliant on other people. It's also exhausting because you end up having to do a lot on your own. But I think that it's it's really great when you actually have that vocabulary. So I would tell them to get their music scene sorted, but then also go above and beyond and kind of learn from the community of artists um, around them and, and just absorb themselves in that, um, in that environment. But yeah, I think that the way young women are currently dealing with not just music, but entertainment in general and how they're really just blazing forth I, I, in fact, looked at their bravery and I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. This is great. Like, I want to be more like you guys. So I think that I, I would I would love for them to safeguard their fearlessness for as long as they possibly can.
0: So that concludes the episode on women in music. Thank you so much, Ms. Nurani, for sitting down and talking to us and sharing your many insights. I think we can all agree when I say that we're very, very inspired by you. Um, so, thank you all so much for watching this episode. Be sure to check out Natasha Narani's music on Spotify, on YouTube, wherever you can stream. Um, and we'll see you soon. Bye.
2: Bye. Thanks for having me.